A uh, couple things before I start. I do want to apologize to you all. Um, for the past few weeks, I've been dealing with some sort of lingering congestion, you know, post-COVID congestion for a few weeks. So I do apologize. I might have to drink more water, clear my throat, maybe cough. So I just want you to be aware of that. But pray for me so I can get through this. The other thing I would ask uh, prayer for is that as I found that as I meditate on, meditated on the sermon, meditate on the series, meditate on the Word of God in general, I was telling my wife, the more that I find it reveals my own inadequacy. As I stand here today, I am here to communicate a truth that my mind can't fully grasp, I can't fully comprehend. So I'm asking the Spirit to please speak. Please speak, Lord. <clears throat> I'm so thankful to be here. For those who don't know me, my name is Tim White. I'm the care minister here, and I never take it for granted, the opportunity to speak before you all. I take it very seriously. As I've told you before, God doesn't play with his people. So I pray that my words are formed by the Spirit. I want to to say again, thank you, Ruth and Emily, for your service to the church. And we definitely just, it's good to honor leaders, those who, who pray for us, those who teach us, those who care for us, those who counsel us there. There's a lot that happens behind the scenes that we don't see. There's a lot of pain and even sometimes ministering in the midst of their own pain and, and, and struggle and all of that. So we thank you all. Thank you for your service. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so as it's been mentioned, the sermon series, being anchored in Jesus, and last week, uh, Ruth, you know, powerfully kicked it off for us coming from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, where Jesus heals a woman in the synagogue who's been bent over for 18 years. Uh, she's been bound by Satan, and uh, uh, Ruth touched on this too, that I want you to notice that when Jesus heals people, um, to, to see the holistic nature of the healing that Jesus, uh, as, as Ruth mentioned, isn't just dealing with the physical, he's dealing with the spiritual component as well. I mean, she was bound by Satan. Jesus is addressing the social issues. I mean, to be bent over that, how you have to relate to people, how you have to function. Mentally, how she had to think day after day. Jesus deals with the whole person. And it's beautiful. And I want you to see that when any healing, any miracle, that's what Jesus is doing. The whole person. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. So thank you, Ruth, for kicking us off. John chapter 6 uh, is the passage I'll be coming from. Now, I'm going to read, it's a lot of reading, but I'm going to read kind of like the second chunk of this uh, chapter, and then I'm going to reference earlier parts, and prayerfully I can tie this in where it all makes sense. <clears throat> John chapter 6, verse 41, verses 41 through 71. At this the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. 
They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the father. Very truly, I say, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But there, excuse me, here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. <clears throat> Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me <clears throat> will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the 12 was later to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, a little background on this passage. I chose to start there for a particular reason, just to, you know, we, we kind of know that Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, but I kind of wanted to start at the place where you see the conflict arise because of him saying this, and we'll, we'll dive deeper into that. <clears throat> but John chapter 6, if you know the whole chapter, it begins with the feeding of the 5,000, well, 5,000 men, that's what they counted, 5,000 plus people. So you're talking about a lot of people, this miracle that Jesus performs, right? So um, leading up to this, you know, Jesus is starting to heal people. His ministry is picking up steam. 
He's becoming more popular, and now people are, are coming to him. They're, 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 they're flooding to him. And so the crowds gather, and Jesus is like, okay, let's feed these people. What do we have? He's talking to his disciples. And you know, there's a little boy, you know, who came. He had his lunchbox. You know, he had five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, we'll use that. So Jesus performs a wonderful miracle. He multiplies this and feeds thousands of people. And it's to the point like they stuffed themselves. Everybody ate till they couldn't eat. They, they were full. It was a beautiful miracle from God that the people witnessed. Beautiful. And people, and the people start questioning now, is this the prophet from God? And then they wanted to make him king. And knowing this, Jesus went away. Now, if I would use the words of my father-in-law, he might say, well, you know, this seems like a very good time for Jesus to build his megachurch, right? Everybody's following him, he, he feeds them, and they're just here, and I'm like, this is the time to do some marketing, this is the time to do some PR, let's do some press, Jesus, just, just, just sink the hooks in them. But he goes away. He leaves. Which brought up a question for me. So I think about the crowd, and as I mentioned, they're like, they see, they have an idea, the Jewish people, they have an idea of this Messiah who was to come. They didn't have a full picture of what the Messiah would do. So in their mind, they're thinking, we're going to make this guy king. This is revolution time. This is, we'll raise this guy up, defeat the Romans. This is what's happening. But how many of you know that Jesus doesn't follow anyone's agenda? He doesn't follow anyone's dictate. He doesn't follow anyone's program. Jesus doesn't come and join our parties, our systems, our agendas. He sets the agenda. So what does he do? He leaves. It brought up a question for me, though. Why are you following Jesus? What are your motives? We'll dig a little deeper into the, the crowd's motives, but I just want you to sit with that for a moment, a moment. Why are you following Jesus? How do you view him? We have a sense of where the crowd is. But Jesus turns and begins to challenge the crowd. So what happens is this is the next day. So Jesus goes away you know, meets up with his disciples later, and the people are searching for him. He goes down to Capernaum, they find him. So they're coming after Jesus. I said, why are you following him? But how many of you know Jesus knows motives? He knows why people are coming after him. And you know, in the previous chapter, in chapter 5, Jesus is challenging the religious leaders, right? And, but now this seems to be like he's challenging the crowd, because all kinds of people are coming to him. They have all kinds of different motives. But Jesus is now going to start to set the record straight. So I want to reference verse 26 of the same passage. They, they came to him, Jesus, we've been looking for you. How'd you when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal 
of approval. Jesus immediately checks their motives. Why are you following Jesus? They come to him because he, he filled them up. And, and see, you have to understand why Jesus does the signs, right? We learned last week how Jesus heals the woman. Every sign that Jesus does is for a purpose. It is to testify of who he is, that, that the Father has sent him. That's the purpose. That's the goal. It's not just about the fact that I fed you. Are you understanding what this miracle is pointing to? And that's what the crowd is missing. And he calls him out on that. You ate. You're coming to me because I did something for you. Oh, we can bring it into modern day. You're coming to me because I bring you a certain level of comfort. You're coming to me because you want a blessing. You're coming to me because there's something you can get from me. But you're not really after me. There's something else you're after. Like these people. Now, we don't know much about the crowd. I mean, we know that they're, they're the Jewish people. I have to imagine there's, there's all kinds of people here. There's wealthy people. There's probably more poor people. So he could be talking to people that maybe haven't eaten in a while. That food is a real need for them. To, to eat, like people who haven't eaten in days, this might be who he's talking to, and yet look at how he's even challenging them. I'm speculating, I don't know, but I think it's safe to assume. Jesus challenges everybody, rich, poor, don't matter. Why are you coming to me? Jesus turns to recognize now the condition of the people. See, you're focused on physical need, but I see something deeper. There's a spiritual hunger that needs to be filled. But Jesus, I care about all these things in the world. Jesus, you're useful. I like what you can do. Jesus, I keep you around because I had a rough day this week. That's all I need. When the crisis is over, okay, Jesus, I'll put you away. They got what they wanted from him. But now the conversation shifts. Do not work for food that spoils, but the food that I will give you. I titled this True Discipleship, and I, I struggle with like, what the title should be, but as we talk about being anchored in Jesus, it's connected to who He is and the work that He came to accomplish. And I, I didn't initially align this, uh, arrange this with points, but if you're taking notes, there are, there are just really going to be two points I'll give you. The first one is this, True Discipleship is properly identifying Jesus. True Discipleship is properly, first, properly identifying Jesus. If you understand the way the Apostle John writes in this book, John is preoccupied with revealing who Jesus is. So John starts in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. 
He's preoccupied with, let me tell you who Jesus is. He doesn't give a birth narrative. No, we're not starting there. Let me take you all the way of who we're dealing with right now. Identity. Discipleship starts with identity, identifying who Jesus is. Let me pull up. It's not going to be up here. But Jesus begins to dialogue with them because clearly the people are just after, they want another meal. That's what they're after. Like, that's why they've come to him. He said, do not work for the food that spoils, right? He said, um, this is verse 28. Then they asked, they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, here we go. What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What are you going to do? You know, our ancestors, they ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. True discipleship starts with identity. Why are you coming to Jesus? See, he pivots the conversation to say, are you looking at me? You, you, you got a certain temporary focus, so let me give you a heavenly one. You're laboring for food that's going to spoil tomorrow. The food that I give is eternal. But here's what he does. He points to himself. I am the bread of life. And I just, I, I want you to sit with that for a moment because it's identity, identity, identity is what Jesus starts with. Coming to Jesus first, we've got to know who he is. It's important, and it seems like I might be beating this into us. But it's so important. Jesus is not some average Joe. He's not just some good teacher. Think about how they're coming to him. I can get something from him. I can get a miracle. Um, he's got wise sayings. He's got the, you know, he's not somebody we just compare notes with. He's got some ideas and, you know, I'm going to kind of put them in my plan, you know, and, and we'll just kind of work. Like, no, do you see who he is? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. 
Here's the other thing Jesus is doing. Remember, you're dealing with the Jewish people. There's a lot of ethnic pride going on here. There's, there's, there's strong pride in con being connected to Abraham, being connected to Moses and the teachings of Moses. And Jesus dialogues with them about this. You know, well, our ancestors, they ate, in, they ate the manna in the wilderness. And if you go to the chapter before when he's talking to the religious leaders, they're talking about Moses and taking pride in Moses. And Jesus is like, you didn't believe Moses. See, you missed Moses. Here's why. Moses wrote about me. Moses talked about me. Moses pointed to me and you're not seeing me. So how can you say you listened to Moses? So all the things that they're, they're taking pride in, Jesus is ripping that up. No, no, you're not paying attention. Let me reset this for you. I am the bread of life. Now I want to fast forward now to the original text that I read because we see some, I don't know, disagreement, confusion about what Jesus is saying. So you can put that back up there, that original passage, verse 41. They're still fleshly minded. Jesus is talking about spiritual food. He's talking about the condition of humanity that goes beyond just your physical need, but our need for God, our need to be restored to God. You're talking about an Israel that's been alienated from God. They've not been obeying God. We're talking about a humanity. For us, we're saying that have been disconnected from God. And this is why Jesus has come into the world as the Savior, as Lord, as King. Excuse me, one second, I want to get back to my notes. My apologies, it's just loading for a moment. So then they start saying, hold up. How are you the bread that came down from heaven? Isn't this Joseph? Isn't this Jesus, son of Joseph? Isn't this a boy that, no, he used to step on my flowers all the time. Remember him? He's grown up now. What are you talking about? He's the bread of life. He's the one who came down from heaven. What's he talking about? Don't we know him? And Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. I said for one, discipleship, true discipleship begins with properly identifying Jesus. Point two, true discipleship means properly identifying with Jesus. True discipleship means properly identifying with Jesus. If he's the bread of life, what does that mean for me? And this is where it gets controversial because now Jesus takes it a whole different level. First he's saying, I'm the living bread, whoever eats this bread, okay, we're following you, Jesus. We get that. And then he come, we come to verse 53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood 
has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. You know, I work in marketing and uh, <laughs> I've been in marketing for about 14 years and one of the things we always talk about in marketing is who's your target audience, right? Who are we trying to reach? Students, prospective students, current students, alumni, faculty, you know, all of that. And so there's a certain way you, you have to understand them and there's a certain way you want to talk to them and kind of reach them. And I guess if Jesus, if this are happening right now, that might be the criticism Jesus receives, you know, well, Jesus, we, we need to talk about PR right now. We need to talk about who you're talking to. You know, and, and what, do, what do they need? What do they need? And, 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 and let's kind of massage this so we, we reach them, yes, right? Yes. We want to win them, Jesus. So Jesus, what is your message? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. <laughs> Who's the audience? Well, for one, you're talking about the Jewish people. If you know their laws, they don't have anything to do with eating human flesh. And they're not drinking any kind of blood of any kind. So why does Jesus use this imagery? I told you, Jesus knows the motives of people. And what Jesus does, and this, this rhetorical device he uses throughout his ministry, for those who are coming to him with wrong motives, wrong ideas, sometimes Jesus veils himself. He speaks, he doesn't speak plainly, he uses metaphors and even uses strong language to communicate a truth, but he knows, yeah, people who don't believe, they're not gonna get this. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Jesus is talking spiritually, a spiritual point. But the people can't get past this. <laughs> I mean, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus says, unless you do it, you don't have life in you. Now, there are lots of things that can be said about this passage, and I just want to talk a moment about, a moment about eat my flesh and, and drink my blood, because Jesus does talk about his flesh being um, the bread that he gives for the world. The bread is his flesh that he's going to give for the world. Throughout his ministry, Jesus is giving, he's alluding to his sacrifice in different ways. Destroy this temple and I will rebuild it. He's, and he tells his disciples, the, the 12, he tells them plainly, I'm going to die and they still don't get it. And so he, he's speaking obviously metaphorically, this connotes his flesh that he will give. We, and for us, as we look to the cross, we know that it is through Jesus that we have true life. It is through his shed blood and resurrection we are brought into right relationship with God. We are washed of our sins, we are cleansed, we are given a new name, we are brought into a new kingdom. So that's the reality he's getting at. And for Jesus, this is something that we need to share in. As I was preaching on this, I, I mean preparing for this, um, I was reflecting on communion, for example, kind of an example of this. What we're saying in communion, see, remember, true discipleship is not only identifying Jesus properly, but identifying with him. That means what's true of him is now true of me. 
Let me just give you some examples. Just, just some examples. I am a father. What does that mean? Answer me. What does that mean? I got kids. There's an automatic relationship that that title, that identity connotes. I'm a brother. I have siblings. Now, I can keep giving more and more examples, but the point is this. First, identifying Jesus when we properly identify him is the only way we can understand our proper relationship with him, our proper identity with him. So, if I just think Jesus is a good teacher and nothing more, how am I going to relate to him? He's got some wise sayings. I'll take some of it. I'll leave some of it. But what happens if I believe he's Lord? You know, I, I love what one minister said, how he defined Lord. Jesus is Lord. That means what he says goes, and there's no negotiation. If I believe he's Lord, what does that mean for me? If I believe he's Savior, naturally, logically, it means I'm in a position where I need to be saved. It's logical. This is what this is getting at. Jesus is saying, I'm true food. The words I speak, this is true food. I give true life. What does that mean for you? You need to feast on me. You need to feast on my words. You need to feast on my truth. Jesus says this when he's being tempted by the devil. He says, you know, you're the son of God. Command these stones to become bread. What does Jesus say? Come on. I can't hear you. Exactly. Man doesn't live by bread alone. This is what this whole passage is getting at. It's not just the physical sustenance you need. It's the spiritual reality, the spiritual hunger that you have. You need to feast on me. My blood is true food. This is sustenance. And he compares this with just, like I said, this is about eating, and I know it's not lunchtime yet, so stay focused. But, you know, he compares this with eating because we understand that. We've got to get up and we eat. Our body needs the nourishment. And he said, just like your body needs that even more so, you need my words. You need my truth. And I wonder if we feel that, do we see Jesus like that? Is his word that important to us, just like my next meal? That's something to think about, church. We're just saying Jesus at the center. And I said, do you believe that? Do you embrace all of the implications that come with that? And he said this teaching in the synagogue. And then there's the reaction. Many of his disciples, now mind you, you had the larger crowd, but you had disciples, so other people were following Jesus, and you had the 12 who were closest to him. But there are many of his disciples that are like, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Now I don't know which one, if it's eat my flesh and drink my blood that they were um, 
really focused on, or if it was I'm the bread that came down from heaven, and they're still like, no, this is Joseph's son. Jesus, I'm not making that jump that you coming from. I, I'm, I, don't know, I don't know which it is that they're most offended by, and you know, I might have to bug Dr. Edwards at, at some point, or a scholar, to say, hey, did I get this right? But maybe it's all of it. Maybe it's, but, but they are clearly offended. And that's why Jesus had said, you know, no one can come to me except the Father draw him. So you think that Jesus' words that everybody's going to love him? I know sometimes we present Jesus like that, but this is an example. Everybody's not going to be in love with Jesus. Everybody's not going to like what he's saying. I am true food. He said, does this offend you? And I I like his answer. He said, then what if you see the Son of Man, this is verse 62, ascend to where he was before? He's getting back to this identity. I came from heaven. So I'm definitely sure they're offended by that. They they haven't quite gotten to that point. Like, that you, you come from heaven. I mean, we think you're a prophet of God, but you came from heaven. But Jesus knew this. He knew who was with him and who wasn't. I told you, he knows your motives. My earlier question, why are you following him? What are your real motives? I want you to know he knows your motives. One other thing about this eat my flesh and drink my blood, as I was reflecting on communion, I want to come back to that point. Another thing that that is symbolizing. see. It's about sharing in Christ, identifying, identifying him and identifying with him, that I am now sharing in, in, in this life with Christ. And I love how John brings this out because he not only talks about the identity of Jesus, but he talks about the relationship of Jesus with the Father. You see a lot of not only I am statements, but I and the Father are one. I am in the Father and the Father in me eat my flesh, drink my blood. In other words, you are sharing with me. You are in me. You are in this life together. I give of myself to you. Partake of me. So when we take communion, you know what we're saying? We're not just saying we recognize that Jesus died. We're saying I'm all in. We're saying, I am a full participant in what it means to follow him. Everything that he is, I'm joining into it. There are other passages that talk about this, being baptized into his death. But this, I love this beautiful relationship Jesus is getting at. You see, you got to feast on me. We're connected. We're joined. We got to share this life. Share this with me. I give of myself to you, not partake. You need me. And then what happened? Many of his disciples left. I can't do this. This is too much. Whether it's the the bread that came down from heaven, whether it's the blood, flesh, either way, this is too much. Even though Jesus is speaking in code, he knows there are those who are being drawn. They will hear. But then he turns to the 12, one of which he knows is the devil. It says that because Judas, he knew from the beginning, he's going to betray him. 
But I love this question. Do you want to leave too? See, Jesus isn't going to force you. He offers himself to us willingly, but he's not going to force you. He's not going to force you to embrace his lordship. He says, I'm Lord, but it's up to you. You're going to embrace that? I am the bread of life, but you may not see him as food. Maybe Jesus for you is just someone that you collaborate with and then you move on. But if we listen to Jesus, true discipleship, he doesn't give us that option. Never. We're called to be all in with Jesus. Do you want to leave? Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. True discipleship. Is Jesus your only option? Do you have other options you're considering right now? I say this with a heavy heart because, you know, I've got, um, not too long ago I was talking with a friend and she was sharing with me how, she's like, Tim, I'm out. This faith thing, this Christian faith thing, Jesus, repentance, faith, all of that, I'm done. Some of you may know this, and maybe some of you are in here right now dealing with this process. It's kind of become known as this kind of deconstruction. You know, I'm deconstructing my faith. And she was at that point, and it had been years coming. And she's just like, I'm out. I'm done. And she had very various factors. There were various factors. There are different reasons. And I know people have different reasons. Sometimes it can be church hurt. Maybe it's just Jesus said something. I, I can't go there. I remember talking with one guy years ago. He's just like, yeah, I don't want to follow Jesus yet. Because I know what I have to give up if I do. I'm not ready for that. But I can, I can appreciate him being honest. He understood the implications of following Jesus. <laughs> He's like, I can't keep my agenda and follow Jesus. It doesn't work. They, they don't mess. I know I have to give some things up. But I think about my friend, and I do wonder, well, what else is she turning to? I understand the reality of church hurt, and maybe you've been in the kind of churches that didn't embody Christ well, so maybe you've got a skewed view of following Christ and what true discipleship means, and that's really what needs to be deconstructed. That's what needs to be undone. Maybe that there needs to be healing there because you've dealt with pain and because you saw hypocrisy. Like last week, Jesus gets on the, 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 the leader, the, Jew, the, the religious leaders, hypocrites. So I get that. But I still ask that question, well, what else do you turn to? What other options do you have today? What else are you considering that's just as viable? See, Jesus calls us to total discipleship. That means I am completely dedicated, devoted to you. It's the person and the work of Jesus. You know, as I was preparing to come up, I mean, I'm just blown away by this gospel being rooted and grounded, anchored in Jesus. It's in who he is. And the question, am I willing to accept all of the implications that come with being rooted in him? One story that I reflect on, and I'll begin to wrap up, and so I don't know where she is. 
Sarah? Or, yeah, come on up. Um, is Jesus your only hope? I remember one time I was in a Bible study with some friends. They're from Nigeria. And they, uh, uh, if you know anything about Nigeria, specifically the northern part, Christians are dealing with a lot of persecution there uh, from the Muslim community. So Christians are kidnapped, they're imprisoned, they're killed. It's a reality. So they, they, they've got family there, they've got friends there. And I remember one time in this Bible study, they were, they just seemed so down and I'm like, they were just kind of <laughs> out of it. And so I just started asking them what's going on. And they started explaining to me about how, you know, not too many days before, there was attack in their village where they're from. Um, Muslims came and attacked and they were waiting to hear from family and friends like, we don't know who's dead, we don't know who's alive. And I mean, they were just, they were broken. They were, they were just, it was real. So we just had to sit with them in that. But I'll never forget their posture, even after they shared that, even days after that when we met. They held on to that hope. They had that posture that Peter said, who else do we turn to? What other hope do we have? They held on to the fact that following Jesus, there's a cost. That means even identifying in his suffering, persecution comes with it. They were still solid on that, even though they were grieving and there was fear. It was all real, but they were anchored in that truth. I'm convinced of who Jesus is. And even if that brings suffering, it's worth it. That's a hard place to be in when you don't know if your loved ones are dead or alive. What kind of truth are you anchored in this morning? And how do we live this practically? How do we feast on Jesus? Well, first of all, it's recognizing every day, Lord, you are the creator. You know what that means for me? My life is in you. That means every morning I get up, I don't get up with entitlement. I don't get up with this mentality that the world owes me something. I get up saying, Lord, I thank you for every day you've given me. What am I doing? I'm feasting. I'm eating his truth. When I recognize his lordship, Lord, everything in my life belongs to you. My body, my mind, my hands, everything that I do, I offer it to you. You're feasting on Jesus every day. When you're at the doctor's office, and you get that diagnosis that says it, it's come back. Lord, my life is in your hands. I don't know what this means, or maybe I do know what it means and it scares me, but Lord, I believe you are the resurrection and the life.
And I can't move from that. I had to say that. I had to say that looking at my father's body. I had to ask the question, why am I following Jesus? For me, because I believe he is who he he says he is. I believe he's the true hope. I pray that we can have that posture. We know we're going to turn on the news and see some other mass shooting, some other killing. Jesus, you are the only hope. Yes, we'll talk about sensible gun laws and those debates will happen. But who can deal with the wickedness of the human heart? What other hope is there? Jesus said there will be tribulations, there will be trials, there will be things we don't understand. But I need to be anchored in him this morning. I need you to feast on him. That's daily, folks. It's not putting him down. I haven't talked to him in a few weeks. It's daily when you're at work, school, anywhere. Lord, you are my life. When somebody pisses you off, Lord, you define me. I follow you, your character. That's how we apply this every day. But first, we need to be convinced of who he is. That he is the bread of life that's come down. He is truly the savior. And if that's true of him, what does that mean for me? It means I'm called to share in that life with him. This is true discipleship, church. It's true discipleship.